Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad to open God's Word with you today. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3. Really quick, I want to welcome all our fifth graders and fourth graders and third graders and second graders and first graders, kindergartners, four-year-olds, three-year-olds, two-year-olds. If you are a baby in this room, I'm glad that you are here today. We're going to be studying Matthew chapter 3. This is a really important passage of Scripture, and I hope that you are all eager to to hear from the Lord as we study it together. Let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll open it up. Uh, Father, we do ask that you would meet with us now, that you would bless us as we hear your word, that you would encourage us and equip us with all that we need to serve you faithfully and with joy, especially in this upcoming year, but in every year. Lord, we want to honor you with how we live as your people pray that you would draw us to repentance, draw us to faith in your Son, and that that would be a daily, a daily thing for each of us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 3 comes after Matthew's, Matthew chapters 1 and 2. And in those two chapters, we get glimpses of the kingliness of Jesus. It's very clear from the very beginning statements of Matthew's gospel that Jesus is the coming king, that he is the promised Messiah that has been foretold throughout all of the Old Testament. And so then when we get to chapter 3, it it really isn't all that shocking to find that we have someone heralding the coming of a new kingdom. I mentioned this a second ago. From the very first verse, Matthew's gospel is pointing us this direction. He calls Jesus the son of David and the son of Abraham. In other words, in Jesus the king, all the promises of God's people, all the promises that the Lord has made to his people through the ages come to pass through King Jesus. So so when John steps onto the scene, and John is Jesus' cousin, the son of Aunt Elizabeth, Uncle Zechariah, when John steps onto the scene and begins to herald this message, it it fits perfectly with everything that Matthew's gospel has been showing us so far, and really with everything that Matthew's gospel is going to show us from here to the end of the book. And so I want to read for you from Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through verse 12 to give you a sense of what is going on here in in John's ministry in the world. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, And his food was locusts and wild honey. For the kids in the room, I just want to go back a second here and make sure you heard this. John's food was locusts and wild honey. I'm just going to leave that there. Think about it for a second. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees... 
and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John heralds this coming kingdom with a message that is simple, sobering, and very urgent. He says in verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, I say this is a simple message for the sheer fact that, that the main command, the one thing he wants these people to understand about what they must do is to repent. This is to change course. It's to turn from sin and to the Lord. It's a very straightforward message that John brings. But it's also sobering. He says, essentially, forget about everything else that you are thinking about. Forget about all the other cares and concerns of this world. This is a matter of grave importance. This is incredibly significant. This is the most important thing that I can tell you as I herald this coming kingdom. It's simple, it's sobering, it's also urgent. This kingdom, this king is imminent. He is at the door. He is ready to come in. In light of this, in light of John's message, there, there are two things that I want us to see in this passage. Two things that I want us to see, and, and they both have to do with the nature of repentance. One is that repentance is the road on which God's kingdom comes. And second, and very, very related to this, is that repentance is the path of holiness. Let's talk about that first point. Repentance is the road on which God's kingdom comes. Um, according to verse 3 of chapter 3 here in Matthew's gospel, John is actually, he's fulfilling a prophetic word uttered by Isaiah, specifically in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. But I want to read the larger context for us, looking at Isaiah 41 through 5. Just turn there with me or, or just follow along. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. Verse 3, a voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's the larger announcement that Isaiah makes. 
But embedded in his prophecy here is, is a lot of really uplifting, comforting things. I hope you see that. This is truly like tidings of comfort and joy, right? As John Lennon would say, war is over. There is a lot of good news in this passage. Iniquity has been pardoned. Valleys are raised and mountains lowered. That's one way to make sure that whoever is coming has no obstacles in his path to arrive at the exact place that he wants to be. The king is on his way. Make ready a path for him to enter into his kingdom. All of this is so that the Lord's reign would come swiftly. And that's, that's what John sees himself as the fulfillment of. That's certainly what Matthew understands John to be doing. He is that voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare a way for the Lord. But, but I hope you understand this preparation of, of the way for the Lord. This is, a, this is an overwhelmingly good, positive beautiful, mighty, majestic thing. In other words, as John is declaring, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's preparing the way for this king to enter into his kingdom. And so in that sense, repentance, according to John, functions in in a lot of ways like a welcome mat for the coming king. It functions like a red carpet laid out for the king to enter into his kingdom, which is exactly what he sees Jesus as doing. And so he wants to lay the groundwork, he wants to prepare the way, and it's not by doing magnificent things, it's not by some grand gesture for the king, it's not by accumulating all the wealth and resources that the people have and laying them at his feet. No, instead, the pathway for the king is laid with repentance. Repentance. In a sense, we could say that repentance is like the heir of God's kingdom on earth. It is what the citizens and subjects of his kingdom breathe. It is the water that they swim in if they were fish. They're not fish. Sorry, kids. I want to make that clear. Uh, it, this, is, this is the foundation of life in the kingdom of God. Repentance. Luke chapter 15, verse 7 tells us, or Jesus in this passage says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, or rather, who think they need no repentance. Martin Luther, you remember him, and the first of his 95 theses that he nailed to the door of the church in Wittenberg, he said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Not a, not a single solitary act of penance, that is to, to inflict punishment on yourself as a means of paying God back, not a, an act of payment to the Lord. Let me, let me pay you and even out the bill that I have accrued to my name. That's not what repentance looks like. It's also not a life spent agonizing over mistakes or oversights or weaknesses of yours or even your own inability. That, that is not repentance, right? Rather, repentance, what John is calling for, what Jesus himself will later call his own disciples to do, this type of repentance is really a life that is marked by turning from sin and turning to Christ. That's what repentance is. It's not a one-time act. It's certainly not something that we do or conjure up in ourselves, but it is a lifetime spent turning from sin and turning to the Lord.
again and again and again. Does repentance mark your life? Does it mark your life? Quickly, I, I just want to ask this question with a couple caveats. Maybe you think that, that, that it is, it is too, it's too late for repentance. Uh, I, you just don't understand. I have laid quite a track record in my wake. For me to repent now would be empty. It would be hollow. It would be, it would be foolish. It would be hypocritical. Uh, I, I, I can't repent. I don't even know what that would look like for me anymore. I just want to say that it's not a matter of how many years you have accrued of sin. It's not even a matter of how bad those years have been. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. Maybe you think it's too early in your life to repent. And, and, and I want to zero in on our younger uh, congregants this morning. Uh, parents, nudge them in the elbows and the, and the ribs real quick. Um, maybe you think that repentance for you is, is just not really, a, it's not something you need to do. Maybe, maybe you're looking ahead and you think, I haven't really done anything wrong. I haven't done anything to offend God. I, I've got all sorts of great things ahead of me that I can enjoy and do. And, you know, one day, one day, I'll be serious about this and, and I'll repent because, because I'll always have a chance to repent. Kids and adults who are kids in this way, you should repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is John's message. The kingdom is here. Now is the time. If you are a fifth grader or a retiree, now is the time to repent. John's message is the message of a prophet, and that's exactly how John presents himself. Uh, he, the clothing that he wears is almost verbatim lifted from uh, the, the wardrobe of a very famous prophet in the Old Testament named Elijah. I won't read it, but if you turn to 2 Kings 1.8, you will be confused as to whom we are speaking of, because he has the same fashion sense as John the Baptist. Leather belt, camel hair, all of it. John's diet, the things that he eats, the locusts, the wild honey, this is, not the, this is not the meal plan of a guy who's concerned with what he's eating. These are the things that you eat when you, have, when you are on a mission, when you are, on the one hand, out in the wilderness living your life, but on the other hand, too concerned with other things to worry about finding something even remotely better than a locust or wild honey, right? Wild honey implies it's not even in his pantry. This is just something he's finding out in the wilderness, because he's too occupied with other things. John is on a mission, and that mission is calling Israel to repentance. And, and of course, he uses a visible sign that they might demonstrate this repentance to the world around them, which is, in this case, baptism. Uh, these people would come out from far and wide into the wilderness to be baptized as a, as a symbol of their confession and repentance from their sin. They would go down into the river, John would baptize them, and this is how they were telling others and establishing for themselves that they had turned from their sins and that they were turning towards the Lord. So when the Pharisees and Sadducees show up, these religious leaders in, in, in Israel, when they show up, we should be raising our eyebrows at why in the world they are here. Uh, I don't want to spoil things for you. 
These guys are not well known for their patterns and habits of repentance. Uh, for them to show up for such an activity, it just kind of, it, it smells like they're just rubbernecking. That's what they're here for. They, they just kind of want to see, they want to see what John's up to and what, what are all these people getting involved in and is this some sort of a cult? I need to know. They're showing up, they're coming out of the city into the wilderness just to, just to gawk at what John is doing. And, and of course, they should know God's ways. They, they have every resource at their disposal, all the scrolls, all the traditions, all the, all the education that you could possibly have wanted in their day. They have all these things at their fingertips, and yet they are deeply, maybe even we could say willfully, ignorant of the ways of the Lord. And so John, as he sees them approaching, he holds nothing back. He has very little concern for how they think of him or what they would say about him or how they would treat him. He's not beholden to the Pharisees or the Sadducees. In any way, he says to them, you brood of vipers, which in the ancient world uh, was a way of saying, you guys are snakes. That was an ancient world joke. Hang in there. John is calling, he's not trying to make friends. Do you see that? Uh, This is a great way to alienate people. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I don't think many of us have been told to say that to our friends and relatives this time of year as we try to share with them the gospel. That's not maybe on the tip of your tongue. But for John, this is exactly how how he leads off because he knows that they're here for a show. They're not here for any genuine reason other than their own cynicism. And so he corrects them. He tells them what they ought to do in verse 8. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. For the Pharisees, for the Sadducees, and probably for many of us at one time or other, maybe even for some of you right now as you sit in this room, repentance isn't about how they live. Uh, but, but rather about who they are. For them, their, their heritage outweighed any effort at personal holiness. And so they would hang their hat on that and reject actual obedience to the Lord, any, any semblance of dependence and reliance on him or humility before him. Rather than turning from sin, they would point to their status as Abraham's children. And, and that's what John calls them out for. In other words, what John is saying to them is your, your heritage is worthless without repentance. God doesn't need you. I mean, did you catch that in verse 9? Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear Good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It reminds me of Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The Pharisees' problem, maybe your own problem, is not that they needed to repent, but that they wouldn't repent. The issue is not that they needed to repent as if that's something to be ashamed of. That's the status of the human race. The problem with the Pharisees and the problem with all of us before we come to the Lord is that we refuse to repent. That's the issue. That's the problem. 
Which leads me to my second point, the second thing I want us to see in this passage. Even though the Pharisees thought themselves to be holy, it turns out, and what they're missing, what we need to understand is that repentance is the path of holiness. It's the path on which God's kingdom comes, and it's the path of holiness. What John does here then is, is he redirects whatever they might have insisted on. He, he, instead of pointing them to Abraham, John points them to Abraham's son. The one Matthew calls in chapter 1, verse 1, the son of Abraham, who is Jesus. Let's look again at verses 11 through 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's baptism, the the baptism that people came out to receive from John, signified repentance, no question. It symbolized their confession of sin. But Jesus' baptism, what John perceives Jesus to be doing in in the lives of his people, is is of far greater significance. In verse 11, John calls Jesus mightier than I. He's saying Jesus is greater, he is stronger, he is more fearsome, he is more glorious. John points out that the winnowing fork is in Jesus' hand to gather wheat and to burn chaff. Jesus is the judge and the king. He is the ruler of all, which means that, that he also then divides those who are his from those who are opposed to his kingdom. John sees all of this clearly in Christ and in his arrival. But one other thing that he sees that I think we often just fly right over is that the baptism of Jesus is done not, not simply with, with water, but, but it's a baptism with the Holy Spirit that Jesus offers. It's a baptism, John says, of fire that Jesus offers. Now, now, what do these things do? Maybe you're thinking of fire and you in, immediately go to pictures of judgment, right? The, the, the flames of hell kind of an image. But fire is, is also a purifying thing. Fire is used to purify precious metals, things like gold and silver. Fire is important to to bring about the purity of a thing. And the Holy Spirit, by just dwelling in a person and and anointing a person with his presence, is, is a sanctifying person. The Holy Spirit sanctifies Jesus's people. And so as John points to Jesus' baptism, he's saying, he's reminding us that, that repentance is not, it does, it, it's not just an end in itself, but rather it, all these things come together in Christ, that there is repentance, there's turning from sin, but then there's also the purification and sanctification and refining that comes through Christ alone, through his Holy Spirit, and by the, the fire of his own refining in their lives. John is saying, my baptism, as significant as it is, really pales in comparison to what Jesus actually offers to his people. See, Jesus creates a holy people for himself by judging those who cling to their sin and also by eliminating the sin that clings to his people. And it all begins with repentance. 
Repentance isn't a one-time decision. It's a lifestyle, and it's one that is marked by transformation. If you're not growing in holiness or seeing the fruit of God's kingdom in your life, it, it bears asking, where might repentance be needed in your own life? Or, like the Pharisees, is there a chance that you're resting on your own merits? Your own heritage, whatever that may look like. Should, you should examine this. Think about this. Don't presume that because you were baptized or because you're a member of a church or because you have a Bible or maybe many Bibles uh, that you need no repentance or that repentance is not a regular part of the Christian life. The problem with the Pharisees is not that they needed repentance. The problem is that they wouldn't. And I feel like for many of us, the, the temptation can be to look backwards at one particular moment in your life, maybe where you made a decision or two, but not to consider that repentance is, is actually, it's, it's the air of the Christian life. It's, it's the bread and butter. It's, it's the day in and day out of walking with the Lord. It's always turning from sin and turning towards the Lord. At least this side of eternity, that's what it looks like. So what does this mean for us? How do we live in light of these things? Well, I think we can take some help from what John has said already. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Turn from your sin, turn from yourself, and look to Christ. Don't expect perfection of yourself. Don't hold yourself to the standard of being Jesus. Instead, look to Jesus and receive his righteousness as your own. Instead of expecting perfection, commit to combat whatever it is that hinders you in your walk with the Lord. That's what repentance looks like. It's a commitment to fighting against the sin that tangles us up. And not only that, but I think another way we bear fruit in keeping with repentance is we receive and heed instruction and correction when it's offered by brothers and sisters who, who want to see us walking more closely with the Lord. I think, I think sometimes we look at repentance as something that has to, it has to begin with us. It has, to, it has to be formed within our own minds and hearts as something we come up with and we figure out and we, we kind of know, oh, I, you know what, I figured this out, I need to do this. And sometimes that can actually be a way of, of being self-righteous because look at how smart I am that I figured this out. And then we reject the, the, the criticism or the rebuke of a brother or sister when it is offered with really good intentions because we look at that as something that didn't originate with me. How can that be true? I don't know that I need to follow whatever it is that you're telling me because that, ah, that didn't occur to me first. Now heed, heed the, the correction that the Lord offers in, in his people through his word uh, through, through, through the means of grace, like just being part of a local church. That, that's, that, that too is the fruit of repentance. What's well, another thing that we can do from, based on this? We can be like John and urge one another to repent. Um, I mentioned this a second ago, but, but merely being part of a church 
or reading the Bible or all the many good means of grace that the Lord has given his people to grow. Merely doing these things is, is, is not, uh, well, apart from repentance, these things are all empty. They're a mask. They're a facade. This is not real life. And so instead, we, we should call one another, even, even our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we should always be urging one another to turn from sin and turn to the Lord in big ways and in small ways, in blunt, direct ways, but also by just through faithful encouragement and pressing in on each other, pushing one another to turn from the things of this world, even ourselves, and to turn to the Lord. Listen, you may think that calling other people to repentance or or even calling them out for their sin is judgmental, but I promise you, you would rather them feel judged by you than to truly be judged by the Lord. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? So so the kingdom is at hand, right? The, The winnowing fork is in his hands. Let, let's not hold back from caring for one another because we would rather or we just don't maybe care enough about whether or not somebody hears it from the Lord before they hear it from us. Let, let's lean forward and serve and care for one another in that way by, like John, urging one another to repent and, and with a similar sort of urgency because the Lord is not delaying his coming. You know, tonight, it's New Year's Eve, you'll see all sorts of people celebrating in godly and less than godly ways, right? People see this day and this night as a time to really look ahead towards things to come and celebrate all the good things that have gone past or, or even to celebrate dumping all the bad things that have happened in the past year. Whatever the case may be, it, it is all sort of oriented around this understanding that there's just an unlimited amount of time. And we can always just start a new page. But I want you to understand that that's, that's not actually true. Right? The, the, the Lord has purposes and plans for all the time that he gives us. Let's, let's use it well for, for his glory, and, and let's urge one another and even our own selves to turn from sin and turn to the Lord. Finally, what does this mean for us? Let's look to Abraham's son, not our own worthiness or our own merits. Repentance is oftentimes, I've found, seen as a very negative sort of word, a negative command. Repent, uh, okay, so stop. That's what that means. Cut, cut it out. That, that's what that means. But I, I really want you to understand that the whole picture of Scripture is one where repentance has two sides to it. Yeah, there, there's stop, there's cut this off, there's cut this out, but there's also look after this, pursue these things, seek after this. It's not just I'm taking this from you, live your life, but it's rather, no, 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 the Lord is saying, no, let me, let me sub something else in that's so much better. And if your repentance is merely looking backwards and saying, well, I'm just done with that, but not looking forward and saying, who is the Lord? And what does it mean for me to delight in him and to know him and and to get to know him better? You're missing the point. You're not actually seeing the fullness of what repentance looks like. Repentance doesn't just look like turning from sin. It looks like turning to the Lord and turning to the Lord by seeking joy in Christ, by knowing him, by walking with him in the streets of his kingdom. 
And at the cross, Jesus gives us all of his worthiness and merit by faith so that we are seen to be no less righteous than he is in the eyes of the Lord. And that's not your doing, that's his. So look to Christ. Look to him. As you hear these words, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's not just saying shut that off, it's also saying look to the king. Isn't he wonderful? Uh, he, He gives all that he commands. Even even as this this preparation statement that John utters is is being thrown out there and the Pharisees and Sadducees coil back at the thought of it, it is all with the understanding that as the king comes to his people, only good things happen. Turn to him. Delight in him. Get to know him. Study his word. Gather with his people. Look to Jesus. That, That is how repentance is done. I want to conclude by reading for you from Philippians chapter 3. This is what Paul has to say as he looks back on his own life and considers where he's come from and where he's going. I love how he phrases this because I think it's a perfect picture of not just turning from sin, but actually turning to delighting in the Lord and in his work on our behalf. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this, Paul says, or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we ask that you would grant this very thing to us, that even as you have called your people to repent for your kingdom is at hand, that, that we would hear these words, that we ourselves would turn from the sin that, tank, that entangles us, maybe the things that we have wrestled with and struggled with all year long, Lord, as we look ahead towards a new year, Lord, help us to look to Christ above all else. Would you, would you stir this up in us that we might find hope in him? Jesus has offered himself in our place for our sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, would you, would you draw that forth from us this year? Would you make us a people pure for your name's sake? And Lord, would you give us the sense of urgency that John here has to also then urge others to turn and repent? to trust in Christ. Lord, may we not shy away from that, but will we cling to you all the more? And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.